Welcome, listeners. You've reached a place where writing is serious business. That's right, scribes and scribblers. It's the nib section once again. Official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Today it is the Cursive Coliseum, the tournament of typography, the pen and tome Thunderdome. Uh, we shed ink, sweat, and tears over here. We have here for you today an illustrious panel of returning hosts. Uh, first up, our ever generous benefactor, consummate collector Sharon. Welcome back, Sharon. Hi. Thanks for having me. A hobbyist extraordinaire, the ever relevant uh, Mr. Brian Sapucho. Brian. Thank you for having me. Our man in the field, the uh, Novocastrian Castellan, uh, Max Schumacher. How are you, Max? Glad to be back. Glad to be here. Good. And last up, myself, Chucks Montano, cartridge converter. I barely cartridge know her. Ladies and gents, what are we writing with today? Let's start with uh, Max. Normally I, I leave you last, but let's go, let's go over to you. In the spirit of the episode, I'm writing with a 1920s Anoto Delarue Nib on a Wyvern number no. 7 body made of ebonite it's a very nice vintage pen so we've got a we've got a representative in the ebonite camp uh what about you sharon so i'm a representative in the acrylic camp i'm writing with a sailor prophet 1911 large in an aquamarine demonstrator with a naginata medium nib and the new bung box kauru color excellent and uh what about you brian i don't actually know the model you don't know the model. Okay. It's a, Ryan's writing it with is, a pen. It's a pilot. Yes, a pen, a stick. Writing with a pilot, actually forgot the mod- model's name, but it's brass bodied with a urushi finish and a bit of makie on top of it. Is that okay. the Hira Makie range? It is Hira Makie and it's called Golden Sakura, but I don't think that's the official name. Yeah. Okay. But it's pretty. I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, listeners, uh, comment if you know uh, what <laughs> yes. the model is. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I am writing today with a uh, brand new acquisition, uh, as far as the podcast knows, and it's a Parker uh, Vacumatic Maxima uh, Golden Pearl. And I believe the last time we did an episode, I was talking about getting one of these, and I managed to find one. I also, before I found this one, I found a junior uh, that was double jeweled, and rather than sell it, I when I got this Maxima, I thought I would give it to our audio team. So I passed it over to Patrick and Denise for them to play around with. Thank you. So you uh, you may be asking yourself why all of the uh, deathmatch references at the top of the episode. Uh, I thought this was the nib section, not uh, Cursive the Black Pearl, a fictional <laughs> pens and piracy podcast that I just made up. But the answer is that today's topic is a pen materials throwdown. We will be uh, discussing pros and cons of common pen materials and our thoughts on them. Remember, uh, preface every subjective statement of ours with your own personal, uh, well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> uh, and it is, but a lot of what we'll be bringing up is also object. So before we get to that, we'll uh, do a little bit of mail bag. We have a very small mailbag section today. Sharon, do you want to read out uh, our, our letter? Yeah, sure thing. So thanks for, for, to Nick Gold, who sent us in a short and sweet message. No question, just an effusion of jealousy and joy listening to the Japan edition. Well done. Thank you, Nick. Had a great time recording that one with our friend across the seas, Leo. And we can only hope that you'll take the opportunity someday to have a swing by uh, Japan and enjoy the sights as well. I like how 
how you say that. Uh, just drop by Japan. Look, if someone's in, they'll let you in. But uh, okay, so fountain pen body material. Look, if it can be carved or turned or molded, then someone somewhere has probably tried to make a pen out of it. Uh, we've done an entire episode previously on nibs and nib materials, where we were asked by Jed and Alistair on uh, the Fountain Pens Oceania Discord channel to turn our attention to the various materials that make up the bodies of fountain pens. There'll be some facts, some opinions, and a whole lot of personal preferences. So we'll try to give a well-balanced view of each material, and we're going to look at them all from three angles, production, aesthetics, and functionality, and uh, hopefully also answer some common questions. So let's start with plastics and resin. I might pass this one over to Brian. Going back to the history, so the reason why plastic was invented is to remove ivory from the mix of like tools that are made from ivory in, in those days. So if you think about it, ivory, that's very organic and then they can decompose and blah, blah, etc. Plastic used to be insanely expensive at the time when it was invented, but modern technologies, um, improvements and everything has made plastic very affordable and very easy to make. And nowadays we're having issues as to how to um, dispose of them. So yeah, there are many, many types of plastics and we are only mentioning several of them so in this you, episode. So Brian, you, first up, we've got our naturally derived plastics. Naturally derived plastics... Plastics had to last forever, put in mind, when they were created. So even if they are naturally derived, they will last forever. So anyways, I, I think the best one to go into first would be acrylic, which is not naturally derived, but that's the most commonly used material in pen bodies. It's a petroleum-based one. Yes. Yeah. Max, would you agree? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd certainly agree that uh, acrylic is very common and a good plastic to start with. As a point of discussion, yeah. But even with acrylic, they have several types of acrylic. I've heard several people mentioning that acrylic can be a bit smelly at times. That is mainly due to the material of acrylic that they use. So acrylic acetate, I've got a chance to turn several plastic blanks into a pen holder, but I don't really like them, so put them into storage, and I was thinking of um, putting them into the trash. Well, you've turned some uh, acrylic, I know that, Max. I don't, I don't know if you've turned a whole a whole range of other things, but I, I know you've definitely made some acrylic pens recently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree that they tend to smell quite a bit to begin with, but the smell tends to dissipate over time. And even, um, it's only really the internals that tend to collect the fumes that I find really smelly. So, you know, a good soak with some coffee grinds is a good way to dispel and absorb odour. We'll get rid of that. Sharon's smelling the inside of her uh, pen cap at the moment <laughs> to verify. Smells like sailor ink, doesn't smell like acrylic. Okay. Um, that one could be mould injected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You won't get the smell with injection molding, you'll really only get it with the machining due to the heat involved. Yeah. So uh, how, how common would you say like an injection molded pen versus a machined pen is going to be in, in terms of like mass production? Most of the pens that you see. Depends on the price range you're looking, honestly. Stuff like Edison is mass produced, but they're still machined, whereas something like a Lamy Safari has to be injection molded and is probably one of the most common pens on the planet. Um, the way I've seen the debate framed in the past is that of the two... Um, manufacturing processes, injection molding and turning. Turning is more labor intensive per pen, but injection molding costs more in terms of startup materials. So the sort of equipment that you need to make 
um, injection molded pens is in the probably hundreds of thousands. Whereas turning, you just need like a lathe and, you know, maybe equipment in the tens of thousands compared to half a million, which is why um, small, small size, small scale manufacturers, they're more likely to turn pens and large producers like Pilot, um, which want to bring down the cost of manufacturing each pen, they invest in um, injection molding processes and equipment, and that allows them to churn out a lot more pens. Um, would you say that's probably what um, determines whether you turn or injection mold? I mean, is that the main difference? Yeah, I'd say that's a fair summary of it. Absolutely. It, especially if you're if you're an already established company as well, with with like a wide base to work on, then you know that. Uh, you'll be able to recoup that in you know um, x amount of time like you you can definitely project that but if you're a smaller company uh like say your edison's or your franklin christos i'm pretty sure fc turns all of their stuff don't they max do they still? i think i think they yeah, do yeah. Franklin they do. Use, um what are they called franklin christoph use tormac cnc machines which are relatively cheap machines but they I have a fair few of them. How many acrylics have you turned? How many types of acrylics? Because when I was turning some of the blanks that I have, I noticed that each type of acrylic behaves differently on the lathe. And um, some are more brittle, some are more prone to heat, and some are just smellier than the other. Um, yeah, I've turned a fair few. Well, not a fair few. It's an unreasonable statement. Um, the main There are three real three main types of acrylic you tend to see. You've got casts in sheets, you've got compression cast, and you've got chunk acrylic. So essentially you've got chunks, swirls, and solid colours, and all of them behave a bit differently. The chunks tend to have internal stresses, which make them a bit more brittle. Um, so something like uh, there's a recent Anderson Pens Franklin Christoph 45 that uses this blue acrylic, um, which I've used, but it doesn't behave as well as I'd expect it to. Then I had a material which was a solid, clear perspex, which is a trade name for acrylic that I'd turned. And that was uh, that was quite, that tended to heat up quite a lot. And even with a very sharp tool, tended to almost cloud over as you heated it and turned it. And you've got the, the swirl acrylics, which are quite friendly and um, don't require too much other work, like the, like the chunks and some of these odder clear colours. Right. Okay, so we weren't talking mostly about production, right? Um, let's look at it slightly from a different angle in terms of um, aesthetics and what appeals to consumers because um, I think what you mentioned, Max, is that sometimes there's a bit of a trade-off because I know that the chunk acrylics are very popular and considered very attractive by users and collectors and yet and you're saying those are more relatively more fragile and harder to work with. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say there's a trade-off. When Schaefer did their re-release of the balance in, in the late two. It was early 90s or um, early 2000s. They had this material they called Tiger's Eye, which is a wonderful patterned black and brown acrylic, but it's very fragile and tends to chip quite a lot. There was another one called Aspen, which is another... If you've seen the Omas Harlequin celluloid, it looks a bit like that, but in acrylic. Um, and those pens tend to chip and deteriorate in a similar way. I called that pen the clown pen from Omas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can understand because um, each, each fragment, sorry, each... The, the nature of having different materials would make it wear differently, right? I mean, it's not a single density across the, the, the rod, the material. So that makes sense that it would be more fragile. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, Max, how much do you know about Macrolon and Delrin? I know that those get used a lot for um, particularly um, particular the hard wearing pens that that are. Do you know much about those? I know the one of the more well known ones, the Lamy Two Thousand, is uh, probably the most famous example of Macrolon. I just bought my boss that one. I'm trying to get yeah, him um, to um, <laughs> use it at work. It's a ballpoint. It's a ballpoint, but um, she was uh, using a freebie ballpoint that has a clip hanging, flicking every now and then. So I got annoyed and then bought her a Lamy 2000 ballpoint. She seemed happy about that one. Yeah, so um, Macrolon. It's a trade name for polycarbonate. So a friend of mine is a plastic fabricator for a company that makes camera housing. He's been telling me about the issues he runs into with all these um, various materials. He can't stand working in polycarbonate. I have no idea why Lamy choose to work with the, the Macrolon. Is because it just hard while it to has manifest? a reputation uh, as if it's fiberglass reinforced, uh, it's not. It's just a brushed finish. It's quite hard wearing, but it tends to pick up scratches quite easily. Uh, and it's quite brittle as well, which almost makes the behavior of a Lamy 2000's durability quite surprising. On the other hand, Delrin is a very commonly used engineering plastic. It, um, it's almost the industry standard for a low-friction, hard-wearing plastic. And so companies like Conid and more recently Karis Customs tend to use it because of its durability and its standardization across the manufacturing industry as a component. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the naturally derived plastics that we've, we've touched on. Probably the most well-known of those will be the ebonite and the celluloid as well as the uh, vegetal resin, which kind of swings up and down in terms of the price point. You'll see quite uh, cheap pens made out of vegetal resin, and you'll see uh, one of my favorites, uh, the uh, Omas uh, Ogiva, the Vodka Lemon. I'm pretty sure that's a a vegetal resin pen. Uh, Do you know much about those, Max? So, yeah, Ebonite, I recently bought some rods from from Nikko in Japan, and I'm looking forward to turning them, although I'm not looking forward to the smell they produce. I don't want to spend a couple of hours in a workshop that smells like burning tire. Ebonite is produced from natural rubber uh, and is vulcanized to quite high sulfur content to add a fair bit of hardness. The issue with working with ebonite is tends to wear down on your tool bits quite a lot. I hear that people have to either use razor sharp high-speed steel or get polycrystalline diamond bits to turn ebonite in a way that's um, practical. Right, right. And compared to, say, working with celluloid, how, how would you find that? I've I've never worked with celluloid. I okay. hear you've got to keep your cuts quite... It, it, it apparently machines really well, but you can't let it get hot or it'll burn and burn quite exothermically. <laughs> but oh. I hear that celluloid machines really nicely if you know how to do it properly. So I didn't, I didn't mention it before, but the um, I'm sure a lot of you already know that this uh, Parker Vacuumatic, uh, famously a celluloid pen, uh, and it is quite uh, light and uh, beautiful if you know the uh, the golden pearl finish. Uh, I've, I've, this is the only celluloid pen I have and is um, quite attractive, I've, but I don't know all that much about the actual uh, material itself. Sharon, um, do you know much about how celluloid was produced and why initially it was produced? Because I know it was one of the very early synthesized or man-made plastics, very early in the 20th century or maybe even late 19th, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure exactly why it was originally produced, but uh, I think nowadays it's only 
so the the uses for celluloid have decreased quite significantly so that a lot of the old celluloid producers are no longer actually making this particular material primarily it comes down to i think two things one is demand and then the second is the fact that celluloid takes time to cure so you can't create celluloid and just use it straight away it actually takes a fairly significant time to cure and become stable before you can use it as a material Right. So it takes it takes a long time to make and also it's not as stable once produced as plastics to manufacture. So that's I think that's the reason why people like pen manufacturers are using sheets of celluloid instead of turning the rods because they would save on materials because it is actually hard to make and then it's actually toxic to make. Um so celluloid comes in uh, like a couple of different uh, forms. There's rod celluloid and there's sheets of celluloid. I know that you know a little bit about this, brand. Do you want to fill us in on that? Not that I know too much or enough about celluloids, but I just took out two of my celluloid pens, which is um, the famous Omas Arco, which is turned from a Arco block brown. a block of um, celluloid. Yes, the Arco Brown. And there's also the other one, which is the Platinum Koi, which is made from a sheet of uh, celluloid. Seeing from the manufacturing quality, I don't really like the koi because um, I don't know if it's a warp in the celluloid sheet or they're not making the threads really well. But currently, it doesn't sit too well between the cap and the body. So on the on the platinum celluloid pen, you can see the join where they they turned like they folded a sheet of celluloid so that the two ends join. And that becomes the barrel of the yes. the pen, right? And the cap and the body has that joint. I did not notice that at the beginning, and then now I kind of hate this pen. <laughs> Truly, uh, on what's top a, of Diana calling it the brain um, hemorrhage. hemorrhage pen. A, what nib have you got on that? What the nib? Yeah, yeah. It's a soft find that I saw. Oh, you from... may you may be able to get rid of that. <laughs> oh, I see a willing benefactor. But yeah. I would assume that the platinum is manufactured with a lower cost because of the um the sheet and less wastage. Yeah, because if you have a rod, then you're you're drilling out yes. sections of celluloid from the center to produce the pen, as well as from around the circular shape. Whereas with a sheet, you just cut out the sheet and then you fold the end, so there's basically no waste. That is true. And um, it's, I'm assuming it's also much faster to cure a sheet of celluloid than an yes. entire block, which you cut into rods. Well, going back again to history, celluloid is um, originally made for, I think, filming the films. Right, celluloid. And Uh, acetate. Cellulose acetate is the name for celluloid, the formal name. That's why it's so flammable. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is there an an advantage to um, a a celluloid pen over something else? I know they're like kind of revered in particularly the vintage community. But is that for aesthetic purposes or is that because of a property... Uh, you know, of of uh, the feel, the, yeah. I think what I kept hearing from everyone is that celluloid has that uh, very warm feel instead of the celluloid slippery. Warms to your hands. Yes, but can't really so get the warmth. <laughs> I I don't know. It just to me, it just feels more touchy. Like it's it almost oily feel. In, in yeah, and it's not slippery. And um, with acrylic, I feel that when you're writing with an acrylic pen. If your hand sweats, then it becomes really slippery, whilst this one feels a bit more firm in your hand, even if you're writing 
with it for a long time. I think as of late, celluloid seems to have really resurged in terms of popularity for materials. Um, and part of it has, I attribute to the a sudden availability in certain Chinese branded pens. So I think Wing Sung is Is now, it celluloid? It's celluloid. They're actually now doing a celluloid? very a very affordable celluloid uh, Schaefer tribute with the pointed ends. And all of a sudden, uh, as of late, I've noticed a lot more uh, popularity and interest in celluloid. But I, I probably now own one celluloid pen, if that. I can't recall. I, I used to own a lot more, but celluloid is a bit of a finicky material to maintain. So if you want to maintain celluloid really well, you actually do have to keep it... Um, you have to keep it stored in a very unique manner. So it can't be completely shut off from air. It needs constant airflow. You need to let celluloid breathe. Otherwise, it's susceptible to celluloid rot. It can't be in um, direct, te- sunlight. direct sunlight, temperature that's too hot. <laughs> it, it's, like a, it's like a bottle of wine. You it's have a, to store it properly. And that's a, part of what makes it so appealing to certain collectors. It's, right? a, gold, it's a Goldilocks material. It's, yeah. It is Goldilocks material. Um, I think in a couple of episodes ago when we spoke with uh, Costa about his a collection of celluloid omasses. He mentioned that um, I'm not sure if, if it, you let the if you let the gases collect too much, they might explode. <laughs> yes. So one that, and secondly, he has to uh, turn them every now and then, uh, as in he has to take them out of storage and turn the omas celluloid pens around so that they aerate properly. Oh, so Costa has turned celluloid. <laughs> Not quite the same way that uh, Max would be turning celluloid, but right. yeah, he turns celluloid probably more regularly than Max. <laughs> so, so I think yeah, I don't know when I'm going to get a rod of it anytime soon. So there seems to be just looking at plastics. Plastics is attractive because it's it's light, it's waterproof, it's relatively easy to um, machine, correct, um, and it comes in a variety of colours and transparencies and things like that. But we've We've sort of over history, we've gone from celluloid, which is more a naturally derived resin, plastic, whatever, um, to more stable and um, cheaper alternatives like your acrylics and your um, not your macrolons because you said that one isn't very good, but um, like Delrin, Darren, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Thank Darren. And now we're going back to celluloid because it's becoming cheaper and and more advances have made it available again to the just general people. I mean, do, do any of you have like a preference? You have to admit that um, celluloid is very pretty. Like, oh, yes. I, I don't Absolutely. think you can get get that depth out of normal uh, acrylic. You can try, but it's not going to be as. Powerful. Oh, it is very pretty, but there's that that toxicity yeah, that you're talking yeah. about. So when it's pretty process. pretty and toxic. I can't wait to set a celluloid pen on fire. On fire. <laughs> I'm half expecting it to happen. I set um, a very old Conway Stewart on fire accidentally. <laughs> How did you do that? I was. Um, it was a Conway Stewart celluloid pen, I think, from the 30s, um, a lever filler. Ooh. I was heat setting the nib and accidentally oh, set the dear. body on fire. Oh, dear. I wonder what Tav has to say about that. So, so you why Tav. we can't have nice things. So, <laughs> I, mean, so, was, so you... I just got into fountain pens. So celluloid is like the um, the ex-girlfriend of the fountain pen world. It is uh, pretty, it is toxic, and looked back upon fondly. Volatile. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to talk about Ebonite. I think this is probably like the... The oldest. Yeah, and it's also, I would say, the stand-in for like most 
1910, 1920s pens. Art they tend deco. to be made. Yeah, and, the, and the, it's, it's like quite a revered material in, in a sense. Like, you know, you're, you're king of pens. There's like a regular and there's an ebonite. I think it's because it, it holds up so well. Yeah. I mean. But they smell. They smell. They but, smell but a lot. A, a, um, like a a, lot. an ebonite pen from 100 years ago has more, has a better chance of surviving that 100 years than celluloid. It's a bit like your you grandfather. Think so? I think know? so, yeah. And it's easy to repair it too compared to because oh, I thought <laughs> I thought ebonite is um can become really brittle as well over time. It, it can, can, but it's it's not the same. Frigi- it's not. The, I know I've got uh, some cracks on the lip of a cap on my ebonite vintages, but they're they're not nearly as fragile as some of my celluloids. No way. Mm. But is it as pretty as celluloid? No, oh, no, no way. <laughs> maybe some of the red ri- red ripples, but I don't own any any of them yet. Oh, but there are oh. some very pretty ebonite. No, pens. I think with ebonite, it's the, similar with celluloid. It gives that warmth feeling mm-hmm. when you're using it. It's but, got more of a grip to yeah, it. Yeah, because it's made out of um, burnt made rubber. Of rubber. Yeah. yeah, like um, like what the Macrolon is aiming to mimic. Sort of that. Yeah. No, that sort I always of find two thousand is very slippy, slippy. Yeah, I don't like two thousand. Yeah. That texture. Like <laughs> yeah. Brian, I'm gonna before we uh, move on to some other uh, materials, I'm gonna pitch one more question towards Brian. Uh, Brian, what's uh, so precious about uh, Mont Blanc's precious oh, resin? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading. It's just because of nothing related to how it's made. So I've I've never owned an MB, and I've I've also never really explored that like visually they don't really speak to me but i do i do see this like precious resin thrown about and uh i don't know what that means is, is precious resin like a proprietary type of resin is there a tm german, is there a tm after that precious is, resin sorry max could you repeat in german i believe the term is edelhaus which is isn't that the song from sound of music <laughs> that's edelweiss gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> edel means noble in German, like Edelstein, noble stone, gemstone, yep. gem, gemstone. Um, but depending on how you translate it, it can be translated as special or propri- proprietary. So whether it's precious resin or Mont Blanc's proprietary resin is a matter of linguistics. So there, I do own a couple of Mont Blancs, and you guys can poo-poo the precious resin <laughs> as much as you like. <laughs> There's nothing that special about it. However, if you, uh, it's been said that if you want to check whether or not the Mont Blanc is a genuine Mont Blanc, you can tell by the resin. The precious resin that the Mont Blanc uses, the black one at least, glows red under light, so under incandescent light. It has a very, very strong red or reddish-brown terracotta tone, uh, whereas a lot of other black resins, so, for instance, a pilot, um, if you put it under the light, it doesn't have that same level of uh, reddish shine and translucency to it. Okay. Apart from that, I don't actually know what's so precious about it. Okay. Well, in, in your experience, um, what, nice. what, what's the flammability of, of <laughs> Watch this space. Haven't tried it yet. <laughs> so you can leave it with Diana. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's move on to some other uh, materials that, that you'll tend to see a lot of. A, lo- a lot of this is also where I start to think. I start to think of kit pen as well uh, when we when we talk about uh, some of these materials. But so metals: uh, bronze, titanium, sterling, silver, aluminium, brass, steel, copper. A lot of these uh, are are in fashion. I know Max, you don't like a, a metal section. Can't stand it, but Can't. I've made a few of them. Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, do do as I do as I say, not as I do with Why Max. Why is that? Is it just because um, metal has very high tolerances and is less no, fragile? No, it's, it's the at the moment it's winter and I get really cold hands. And the one thing I don't want is a pen that sucks any warmth that I have in my hands <laughs> out of my hands. But I mean. If you notice, I know on um, the Omas pens, as they get larger in size, the more likely it is to have a metal section. Do you think there's any particular reason for that? I would say it's because they want to use metal because it won't stain um, when you're dipping it in an inkwell, like oh, a yeah. celluloid might. Okay. Mm. I definitely agree with Max there. We talked about getting Max as some kind of like a section cosy, like a tea cosy, if someone wants to... <laughs> Uh, you know, protect Max's hands from metal sections in the winter. Um, copper pens, seeing a lot of those brass, brass bodied ones. Um, mm. I know I've talked with Max a bit about this and that often a brass bodied pen will be used to make a pen feel more hefty, uh, and feel, feel, uh, you know, have a little more substance. Aluminium, sorry, no, no, not aluminium, uh, titanium. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is quite light. Uh, well, which is where I was leading to with the titanium pens, um, in that they are very lightweight, um, super e- even for their size, super strong, but a nightmare to uh, work with. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not the- touching titanium for a few years until I get something that's significantly rigid that I won't tear my machine apart <laughs> trying to machine it. Yeah, I think in general, metal pens are just more demanding in terms of the equipment? Uh, not really. You don't think it's so? Copper and um, just titanium bronze turn easy. Steel, aluminium, no worries. Stainless and titanium are the ones that I'm just trying to avoid for as long as possible because they have weird work hardening properties. They tend to, as you cut, they get harder, which makes them more difficult to cut and you end up uh, breaking your tools apart. So aside from the maker's perspective, what about from a use side, right? What is, what's so attractive about having a metal pen? Personally, you can drive over it. Personally, I'm not a fan. Um, yeah. I can't stand any of the mm. metal pens unless there's some type of pretty finish on top of it. Mm. Uh, I don't like the heft. I don't like the feel. And I'm, I don't understand this recent craze of the brass pens where you get the brass or copper pens where you actually see it oxidised. But Sharon, Sharon, what about our DuPonts, which are metal-bodied with lacquer over them? Yeah, I'm perfectly fine <laughs> if they're finished with yeah. something else, like a lacquer on top. But overall, as a metal, a pure metal pen, on the like outside, the yeah, customs, like the brush metals, the brush metal pens, um, a they're lot not of the too. Caveco, they're not very appealing. Caveco, well, um, I really do. I do like the patina look on it. Yeah, um, it's like if you like leather, then you might like. Yeah, yeah, those and kind of. I pens. do love leather. I think it's there just you leather. go. Yeah. yeah. And I find them very heavy. Yeah, I find they them are very, very heavy. Very heavy. Yeah. But the thing is, as they oxidize, they give that extra grippy texture as well. But I don't like the smell. Oh. <laughs> don't so sniff your fingers. So, then. listeners, we're going to be talking about some very subjective things for for, for some of these. I, I know, uh, like with with ebonite, some people really like that smell. Um, no. I, I, what you, I like. You were definitely around, sniffing your king of pen. Like Taff does. Yeah, you were definitely sniffing your king of pen when you got it. I, I know. Um, I think Ada has a couple of Karis Customs pens, and what she does is, um, I think she has one brass and one aluminium. What she does is she switches the section from the brass pen onto the aluminium pen. So, um, what she has is an aluminium body with a brass section. So it's heavier in the front and lighter mm. in the back. And I think that's actually. Um, adjust, yeah, it's uh, more comfortable to, to write with. Right. And how many instruments does she have in her brass section? 
<laughs> it's a solo instrument. Gotcha, Tap. gotcha. Chuck. Max, uh, I, I want you to weigh in on this one. So I've, I, I know a little bit about this from, you know, refinishing bass guitars, but woods, rosewood, ebony, bamboo, often working with hardwoods can be just as problematic as... If not work- more. Yeah, actually. as working with metals. I know a lot of guitar makers switch to uh, bass wood for its tonal qualities, but it's still being softer than things like mahogany. A lot of the really, really pretty woods are nightmares oh, to work with. Snake wood, snake wood apparently just Love eats snake tools. Snake eats wood is tools. insanely expensive. Yeah. Love snake wood. I, yeah. I, I am a woodworker. I am technically trade qualified as a furniture maker, so um, I feel like I can at least weigh in this yeah. somehow. Yeah, no, it depends on the wood and really depends on what you're making. I did a table out of New Guinea rosewood, Amboina, as it's known, um, oh. which is a really lovely finish, but it's quite brittle, so I wouldn't want to turn it. Although Omas, I know Brian has a Omas made of it. Yeah, it's here. <laughs> it is very pretty. Yeah, th- those hardwoods tend to be the like, you know, because people tend to favour the darker, darker woods and hardwoods as um that you know they're a, a, yeah and they're they're a little more prized they they have more character in in this like patina and like leather yeah, kind of have, way yeah. they, age, they age really well they age very well and you know the stranger finish you go so something like purple heart purple heart is oh that is insanely yeah. annoying beautiful, to turn beautiful though like uh you know you'll get uh like a custom bass guitar if you if you want like a rosewood board that's fine and it won't be that much but then if you want like a purple heart board that's like another six hundred dollars yeah. is that because purple Wouldn't heart is, is really yeah. hard to work with um the wood itself is very very hard like mm. i have to sharpen the chisel every a minute or two because it's it's that hard um but it is very pretty product i want to show you brian at the end of the episode oh, i think yes, you please. might enjoy it and might save your life but um, I think curing um, curing the wood to make it stable for um, producing a pen out of that is not that is not easy. Not is applicable it? to all types of wood. For right. example, yeah. ebony, um, zircon, and snake wood. They they have a very close grain. Like yeah. they're very, not brittle. They're actually close to plastic when you're turning them. Yeah, very very dense hardwoods. Yeah. They don't need the, the stabilization. Yeah, they don't they don't need they don't that. They don't need but, resin into them. Yeah, but um, they are insanely pricey, and they they are pretty rare as well. And it's really hard to bring them to Australia. Yeah. With, uh, there, there has been some um, on, on the note of rosewood and all of the rosewood variants. There is uh, a lot of uh, import restrictions now, oh, yes. um, which has been af- affecting uh, guitar makers as well. That you can't; um, they have to be sourced from yeah. uh, an ethical place. Yes, uh, non-illegal logging. Yeah, yeah. Well. On the note of stabilizing, um, this this brings me to our other unusual materials. Things like uh, bone and ivory. There is ivory there is a lot of a uh, demand in the tabletop world for esoteric and uh, novelty dice. Uh, oh. Everyone wants bone dice. Uh, so there's there's well there's a there's a supplier well not not supplier there's there's people in America that make uh, dice made out of uh, it's a gator jawbone and it's set it's set with resin yeah because and then gator bone is a very porous yeah bone in general is quite is quite porous so it's set with resin and then they've they've turned that into a whole bunch of uh, polyhedral dice sets uh, so with our unusual materials your bone and ivory 
marble uh, amber, which is technically a natural resin. Uh, and animal skin and fur and leather and, and ceramics. Amber is very brittle and unstable. Mm. It it melts quite easily as well with, with heat. I've tried polishing amber in my spare time, of course. I've never seen amber used in a fountain pen. No, mm. never Graphic have I. Faber Castell. Oh, wow. Did they? Yeah, the body? of the year, 2004. Okay. It would most likely be an inlay instead of a yeah, full well, body. It wasn't an inlay. It wasn't a yeah. solid chunk of amber. Yeah. I yeah. don't think you can. See, when you guys say amber, I only think of a mosquito floating in it because of Jurassic yeah. Park. <laughs> but th- there's, a, there's a few other things there. There's a ceramics as well. Ceramics is an interesting one because awesome. people think of that word as quite fragile. But yeah. space Porcelain age... Porcelain is very strong. Space age ceramics are what they make spacecraft out of. What they make... I don't know if you've ever heard... Mike Eichmann tell the story about how he dropped his Mont Blanc Starwalker. I think it was a ballpoint on the floor at Wynyard Station and heard the ching of, of a snapping plate and then picked the pen up and it was fine. So what, what, did, what did he break? The floor? No, it didn't break. It was <laughs> unscathed, but he, was, he almost had a heart attack. It was just tonal. It just, uh, it just resonated? Is that... Yeah. But ceramic doesn't break. If you drop it, it generally shatters. <laughs> yeah. I oh. speak from experience with my ceramic knives. <laughs> That's yeah. a different type of ceramic. Like, it, there's, there's a lot of... It, ceramic's a word like plastic. Like, it means so many different types of yeah. materials. And, yeah. It's a group of materials. Yeah, an, um, an umbrella, if you will. But th- there's other unusual materials. I don't know about this uh, graph horsehair pen. Uh, yeah, pen of the heard. year. So they, they did it for 2000. And, um, I'm sure Google will tell me. Yeah. <laughs> but so the graph pen of the year, they always um, experiment with quite a few different types of um, new uh, new materials. They've done a couple of really cool ones. 2009 was the horsehair one. And it's, uh, it's woven. It's woven horsehair on yep. the actual pen itself. It looks pretty cool. Um, Is it then yeah, stabilized and, and with... Money? You can send your own horse's hair to be woven into a pen. You can send your own hair is, to be woven that, into a pen. Is that something that you're offering, Max? It's like a morning piece. I don't have enough hair for that, but that's true. Uh, what if we send? Yeah. You, what if we send you a whole bunch of horse hair? No way. Well, there, there is that set of nakayas where it's like the woven the. Oh, it's it's like um. It looks like bamboo, a it? yeah. It looks like a bamboo messenger scroll. Like a, I, I don't know what the actual material. I don't know what that that's actually produced. Whether it's actually made of um bamboo yeah. woven in like in a, like a bamboo mat that sort of um a cross weave. Yeah. Or yeah. whether it's made one. to look like that. Well, then it it also appears to be lacquered. Whatever it is, like the. Um, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So lacquer over bamboo. I'm not sure. Sharon, Google that. <laughs> I've, I've seen that. I think that is real, like waved bamboo. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that. Um, it looks like you know, like bamboo. Basket. Yeah, like about basket or those hats Chair. that are waterproof. That, that was they, that was my old grail, <laughs> and then uh, I decided I don't want to spend that money. Um, <laughs> so, so the one that we touched upon earlier that I'm seeing around a bit is the leather pens. So I think Mont Blanc has done one last year. They did a one Legrand with um, alligator leather. A couple of years ago, they did a whole series of uh, Bohems with different uh, types of leather. I think they did a Stingray. They did um, another type of leather, which is um, very exotic. There's also a Riders series, I think, that's Ooh. leather. 
So I have one of the old Boems, which was, I think it was Stingray leather, which is really, really interesting. And that's Stingray cool. leather is it weird. Is. It is. No, it's sexy. Very I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I know it's used Heavily. in yes. for something, but... You can grate wasabi with it. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> grate wasabi with your pen. <laughs> I'm surprised that no one's mentioned Sailor. They've manufactured um, oh, yeah. deer, deer leather, leather. which oh, is yeah. just like my wallet over here, but mm. in a pen form. I think uh, that, that's not what uh, Sailor's known for. Sa- no, but they also... Sailor tends to be known for the... Um, that's one of the higher end pens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite expensive, that one. Mm. It's okay. Ain's it's, reasonable. it's It's actually it? a reasonable price. Um, it comes with their 14K nib, though. Ah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They also have the porcelain, the Arita. Yeah. yeah. That one is also sexy. There's a composite materials as well. Micarta. I know I've, I've heard you talk about Micarta before, Max. Yeah. Micarta is a weird thing. It's mm. layers of fiber. You, you can use paper for it, um, and then you coat it in formaldehyde resin. So it almost forms like a bakelite. It's used mainly in knife scales. Twisby and Sailor have made pens out of it, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> Again, it's that weird overlap of um, almost behaves like a plastic, almost behaves like uh, sandpaper, essentially. It's so abrasive, it'll dull your tools. Wasn't quickly. wasn't the Twispy micarta pen taken off the market very quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, because it was just impossible to fulfill demand and remain profitable with how much tool wear they were having. Max uh, and Brian, I think you guys might be able to, I mean, anyone in the room really, but uh, you guys might be able to uh, enlighten me. What, what's the weirdest thing that you can make a pen out of, but like probably shouldn't? What, what's, what's just not worth the, the trouble? One thing comes into mind, that amethyst. Amethyst. The DuPont. Um, amethyst. Crocky. Yes. Okay. You guys want to film me? I don't know anything about like? this one. It's a pen. It's, right. the, it's a oh, crystal no. meme. Yes. It's a meme yes. that you yes. see on Facebook no, all the I time. Did. The one with the huge step. Yes, it's got a huge step down, but it basically says if you want to see the, the vision of the future or something, <laughs> yeah. use this pen to divine your future. It looks like a save point in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, yeah it That's does actually. An apt comparison. Yeah. I have actually worked with um, Amethyst. It, it, it blunts your diamond drill bits really quick. <laughs> it's really annoying. But it's pretty. I've made one ring out of amethyst crystal, yeah. and it looks just like that candy ring. I don't know if you've yeah, had yeah, any no, of no. those back um, in childhood days. Me, me and my molars are well acquainted with that, that candy <laughs> ring. There are some pens which are just made of one piece of material with the filling system in the middle. And those tend to be made out of plastic, celluloid, ebonite, things like that. And then you have different types of pens which have metal bodies and then some sort of an overlay on top, whether it's, you know, it can be raden, it could be enamel, it could be some sort of like fur, bamboo, anything. It's very, um, very flexible, adaptable to different types of finishes. And um, do you have a preference? Why do you think that some brands tend to focus on one type of production and some brands tend to do other, like like Conid for one, they only do acrylic bodies. I don't see them getting into the metal and lacquer um, business for some reason. Yeah, I, I surmise for the at least the lacquer over brass example is that uh, you get the feel and weight of something that feels like it should be a luxury item, and then the lacquer or or the other finishes over it give it both the visual appeal and the hard wearing nature of a luxury item. Uh, whereas like a straight up full bodied brass pen or a full bodied uh, copper pen 
by itself unfinished is going to feel significant, but it is not going to, it's not going to hold that finish. I have a theory about this actually. Okay. I mean, if you look at the brands that do um, metal pens with um, overlays of some sort over it, they tend to have not started out making pens. So they are machining companies which tend to start out maybe doing, you know, watches or, um, you know, lighters, um, jewelry, exactly. So they have that mach- uh, metal machining equipment in place and they sort of um, expanded into fountain pens. Just working with their existing infrastructure. Exactly. So, yeah. and I, I actually, tend to really like those types of pens because I, I like the fact that you can change the form because metal is so adaptable and you can put, pretty much put anything you want in it, which leans towards overboard in some cases. But, you know, that, that's always a danger. But it also means that um, these companies sometimes get accused of having very uninspired filling systems, right? Um, because there's only so much, um, I think, you can put inside of a metal Body. Yeah, well, like a a company that's originally a watchmaker isn't really going to give a shit about a piston filling system. Uh, like, are, are they? Like, I mean, Montblanc does. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's like if they're going to change something about it, I mm. I would imagine that would be the last thing because they're in the yeah, in like the market Cartier. of Cartier does not do innovative filling systems. They're in the market of uh, you know this this luxury item, yeah. and the filling system is not really a selling point of that. They're focusing on what they do best, which is the finish itself, the lacquering, or for in the case of Cartier, the design around the clips and the artisan work with the metals that Metal they can work. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on on the note of finishes, let let's talk about the Urushi and Chinese lacquer um you know you see a lot of these on on high-end pens uh arushi in particular uh my nakaya which is the pen that i've definitely paid the most for uh by still significant not as significant as it used to be but a significant margin is probably the least ornate and still the most beautiful it would be out of more my... functional yeah. than anything else because it would be adding that scratch resistance yeah and s- somehow without uh, you know, embellishing much. Of it. There's really like the the only thing that stands out on the body is the is the clip. Uh, it's still one of the best looking pens that I have. You know, and uh, it's beauty and simplicity itself. So, to our hosts, let's let's uh, pick some sides. What is your favorite and why? Try to justify your pick and be prepared to argue about it, guys. Let's go over to you, Max. You can start off. I didn't come in here with a favorite. I think my favourite... They're all your children. <laughs> yeah, that, that, exactly. People have favourite children, let's not lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll know what my favourite is until I've had significant time working with these materials uh, to know what my favourite is, both in terms of function and aesthetics. But at the moment, I'm leaning towards celluloid, but cellulose acetate rather than cellulose nitrate. I like... I like how we led into that because what that makes me think of is like if you have kids, Max, you're going to wait to see which is the most successful one. <laughs> so celluloid, uh, cellulose acetate, you said? Yeah, because there are two types of celluloid used in pen making. There's nitrate celluloid, which is the horrible, unstable one that catches fire. Yeah. And there's acetate celluloid, which has a little less depth in color, but is a, little, a lot more friendly to work with. So it's, what's what's your reason? Uh, I want to I hear your, your main talking points on it. You don't want In the event that I'm working with very valuable blanks, such as cellular blanks, I looked at some um, Italian blanks a while ago and they were going to run me $20 per 
150 mils of length. Wait, they, is that the acetate or the nitrate? That's, that's acetate. Are they different in price? Yes. Nitrate is significantly pricier. Okay. So leading on to that, I don't want the risk of setting fire to <laughs> some ludicrously expensive blanks or in to the your process house. of trying to work out how to work with the material. All right, Brian, what about, uh, what about you? For me, the pen that I do not remember the model of, that pilot, I think that's my favorite because it has a brass body. But it's Urushi lacquered and it has maki on it. So it's pretty and it's sturdy. Okay. Sharon, um, over on this side, what's what's your hot take on this one? Oh, if we're talking about finishes, then absolutely Urushi. I love the feel of Urushi. I like the way that it um, you can hold it in hand, um, the grippiness of it and how scratch resistant it is. Um, I like it in particular on Ebonite just because of the weight balance. But if we're just talking about a particular pen material acrylic i'm acrylic all the way there's so many different varieties it's light i'm not going to break my hand using it or holding it and it comes in a whole different um range of price points so there's one for everyone and yeah. so every occasion. collectible as and well. So <laughs> yeah. They come in different colors, guys. That's that's a that's a definite one. I I think if catastrophe uh befalls my very very modest collection, I would reach for the Nakaya modest by first. choice, right? <laughs> modest by choice. Yes, yes, yes. Well, modest in number. Yeah. Uh perhaps not an actual representation. But um, I would reach for the Nakaya first. There's there's something very simple and effective about it, and the odd uh, you know the odd filling systems that I have that are very nice. They're great. But if I'm going straight back down to my writing, then it's it's gonna go to the Nakaya, which just feels amazing in my hand, and which is the Ebonite Arushi combo that we talked about. But on that, the Nakaya uses a platinum cartridge and converter, which actually has pretty good has a pretty good capacity. But you can also get Makie converters. Oh, I have that. I have that today. You can get. You can get. Um, I think all three of you have that, don't, don't you? You get no? very um, uniquely designed Makie converters, <laughs> or you can. Yeah, yeah, the the um, the cheap the you cheap pen that. with a you sexy lingerie. You can't get that with like a Conid, for instance. So no. Brian Brian is holding up a demo pilot Kakuno, um, which is about like ten fifteen. Fi- 10, bu- ten fifteen bucks with like a converter with maki on it, which costs the same amount as the no, pen. No, no, it's three More times the cost. three <laughs> times the cost of the pen. Three times the cost. Okay. But it's pretty. You can see the yeah. that inside. Every... That's what happens when you wear Victoria's Secret and Uniqlo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Some news. We have the Sydney Pen Show, which is on the eighteenth of August, twenty eighteen. Early bird tickets are now available at $15 online versus $20 on the day. There's going to be loads of door prizes, including pens, paper, and ink. If you're interested in being a vendor, registration closes the 31st of May, 2018. Is this episode going to be up by then? Yeah, we'll, it okay. be up next week. Good, good. So when you listen to this, if you want to be a vendor, get in. Uh, you can find it at www.sydneypenshow.com.au. Which takes us to our recommendation section. Those of you that uh, have not listened to the show before this is where we recommend things that are not necessarily related to pen and paper so let's start with brian well, brian what would you like to recommend this week i would recommend another hobby of mine you've pottery. Done, you've done this before <laughs> shut up <laughs> um yeah pottery um lately since my trip from japan i've seen so many potteries everywhere and they're gorgeous so that made me want to go back to pottery again 
So there is a place down in Surrey Hills, uh, just across from Buck Street Bakery. It's called Pottery Shed. You can check that out. That place is amazing. Well, this this ties into your whole Arushi thing as well. Uh, they they can go together. The... Um, yeah, I actually went back to do some more Arushi, so that's yep. why you can see all of those blotches on my hand. Still some marks. You you yep. you were born a snake handler. You'll die a snake handler. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what about uh, what about you, Max? What are you recommending today? I've got a food recommendation. Oh. That is the Monte Cristo sandwich, which is a ham and cheese toasty with French toast instead of bread. Is this a sandwich that is that I'm going to betray that we'll uh, use later? Uh, betray me? Yep, absolutely. Gotcha. Um, do you want to go into the the actual uh, layer by layer of the Monte Cristo sandwich? Yep. So begin with a savoury French toast batter. So dip some um, dip some. You can use any bread you want. Just stick with white cheap bread. It'll be fine. Dip that in a, uh, a batter like scrambled eggs. French toast, but make it a savoury one. Then uh, cook your cook your French toast, butter it, uh, and add. I like a mozzarella cheese and a bit of parmesan for a bit of kick, and then top that with ham. Whack it in a toasted sandwich machine, and then probably top with some more cheese. Um, cook that for a while, and you have the Monte Cristo sandwich. I want a disclaimer for the listeners: if you have uh, lactose intolerance, <laughs> do, not list, do not listen. Do not follow. <laughs> There's, is that uh, three stages of cheese application, I believe? And butter yeah. and milk. And yeah. 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 Uh, Sharon, do you want me to go first? Or have you no, thought I will of one? go. So following on from Max's food recommendation, Gout's I do on have the plate. a food recommendation. Mine is not so ornate. I was recently in Japan and picked up three boxes of the Royce green tea chocolates they come in a box of 24 in individually small wrap pieces um i've got two two pieces left of this chocolate (laughs) it's been it's been about a month at most it was at tokyo milk cheese factory i thought you were in love with that before yeah, but that was really expensive and really, really addictive. It was like a dollar a cookie, and I couldn't justify eating a pack a day. <laughs> yeah, being a pack a day cookie eater is not exactly. <laughs> there was so much cheese involved, Max. So much cheese. You're not going to find any sympathy from him. He only recommended cheese. Uh, I'm going to recommend a film, A Quiet Place, uh, by uh, John Krasinski. It is his third directorial project. It is ostensibly a horror movie. In tone, it feels more like a thriller. It's great. It's got Krasinski. It's got Emily Blunt. It's very good. I, although I kept waiting for him to mug to camera, but that's that's a failing on my part uh, rather than Krasinski. Uh, a Quiet Place. It's very good. It's, it's not very long either. I think it's just over an hour and a half. Great. Even if you are not not all that great at horror movies, which I think a few of the people in the room have professed, uh, I think it is it's still very good and um, very watchable. You're not uh, you're not going to have many nightmares about it. Many less than five probably. Okay, which takes us to the end of our episode. I want to thank everybody for being here, Max, uh, our our man through the interwebs through the series of tubes. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for. Dealing with my technical issues. <laughs> That's all right. Thanks, Sharon, again, our ever-generous benefactor. Thank you for being with us, Sharon. Thank you. Brian, thank you for joining us again and gracing us with uh, more hobbies. Most welcome. All right. 
Uh, until next time, listeners, uh, my name is Chuck Montano and uh, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Chucks Montano, Max Schumacher, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. 